Speed. 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 Speed Cafe. Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. <laughs> Hello there and welcome to this week's episode of the Speed Cafe podcast. I am Speed Cafe's editorial director, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and I'm joined by the supercars editor, Daniel Herrero. Now, it is the end of the year. It is time to look back on the year that was. So we have, as you may have seen uh, on our website this morning, compiled our top 10 supercars drivers of the season. Now, it was a bit of a tougher job than usual this year. Often the way the supercars points system works, uh, you can pretty much take your top 10 in the points. You might try and shuffle one or two around just to, to sort of make it make it look a bit more uh, fancy and a bit more thought out. You might try and sneak a wild card in there somewhere, but generally your top 10 is going to be pretty close to the top 10 in the points. This year, it really wasn't the case at all. There were just so many factors at play that that, that affected people's seasons, um, and the top 10 of the points wasn't necessarily a true reflection um, of who did the job and who didn't this season, particularly with all those parody woes and all that sort of stuff. So uh, Dan and I had a fair bit of robust discussion about our combined list. We um, we had quite different individual lists in some ways, uh, and we thought we may as well talk through all that and have a little bit of a, a discussion here on the air about how we reached our combined list and argue some of our people we think were hard done by or too well done by and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, Daniel, how are you, mate? Christmas is almost here. You going all right? It's almost going all right. Christmas is almost here. Cricket's here. We're going all right. Cricket's here, yes. Yep. No, I'm, I, I will admit I've got the cricket on in the background as we record this podcast right now from uh, from just down the road at, uh, at Optus Stadium. Um, all right, look, let's, uh, let's kick things off with a chat about our top 10. Um, the first part of this chat is going to be pretty easy because we actually agreed on the first five drivers and agreed on them in position. So as much as I talked about how uh, how it was quite difficult to, to arrive to our complete list, the top end of the list was actually uh, pretty easy. So we're going to start there. Number one, Brody Kostecki. I mean, it had to be Brody Kostecki. It was a near flawless season from the guy, like really took control of the, the, of the title fight early. Um, there were guys nipping at his heels, but he just... He just got the job done so consistently. There was no drop-off from from at least his side of the Erebus garage, as we may have expected. And, you know, given given the tools, he just he just performed. Like, he never even looked like dropping it, right? No, that's right. Um, I mean, no, I was just trying to think on the fly then. So, you know, mistakes we've seen from Kostecki this year and he bowled a wide at the Gold Coast at one point and lost the lead and qualified you know, subpar a couple of times, and that was about it. When there wasn't some sort of debacle, I don't think he finished any lower than eighth in any particular race. So, you know, and what, six wins, 10 poles, more than anyone else on both of those metrics, pretty hard to look past him. Oh, absolutely. And I think even when you look at that mistake on the Gold Coast, like that was at a critical time when he's trying to, you know, that weekend was a big weekend for, for stitching the title together because as long as he didn't make any major mistakes that weekend and, and basically wreck a car, he was going to head to Adelaide in a really commanding position. That's actually a lot of pressure for an athlete to deal with. And if the worst mistake he made was, you know, maybe just getting something slightly wrong in the heat of battle um, and keeping it off the still keeping it off the wall I think that says a lot about his year yeah for sure I, I mean he, he raced very well we always thought he could we saw him 
how he took it to the GOAT, Jamie Wincup at Bathurst in 2020 as a... As a... I'm not even a rookie. Then he was on the Enduro. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. What can you say? It's a bit... There's not really much you can say about him. He did the job, got the wins, yeah. got the trophy. Yeah, he. I mean, he's... he's I guess we all kind of had the feeling that, you know, this guy's a, an A grader and at some point we're really going to see it. And we really saw it. As soon as he had the car under him, we uh, we really, really saw it. So, yeah, hugely impressive uh, season from him and uh, and a very deserving number one. Our number two, we both went with Brock Feeney in the in the number two spot. I'll, um, I'll explain why he was my number two choice, even though he was actually third in the championship. And that was just because I think it was a huge step up uh, in performance compared to the end of last year, even Adelaide last year where he won the race, but Shane was still heaps faster in that race. And if it hadn't been for all the other wacky stuff that was going on in his world um, in terms of being out of position qualifying. And um, I can't even remember what happened in that race, but I know he was very fast and moved a long way forward and then went back and whatever. You could still see there was quite a gulf between performance with Shane and, uh, and Brock. And this year we really didn't see that. Brock has just closed the gap massively. Obviously Shane didn't get on with the Gen 3 cars all that well. Um, he obviously had a few distractions going on in his life uh, in terms of trying to set himself up to head to the States and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think that um, really it was, um, it was you know, Brock, Brock just, just something in the off-season clicked for him. He didn't probably take as much baggage into... Uh, going and uh, and and driving these um, driving these Gen Three cars as perhaps Shane did, and man, he looks like the real deal. He really does, and I, and I think Shane leaving that team would be uh, a much bigger problem for them if Brock hadn't had the year that he had. I think he really showed that he's ready to be a team leader at Triple Eight, and I think that will be uh, helping Jamie Wink up sleep a bit better at night, uh, despite the fact Shane's already living in another country. Oh, yeah, we saw at Townsville that Triple Eight saw fit to reposition them to try and uh, have a crack at Andre Heimgartner in that Sunday race. Uh, I think Brock Feeney, at times during the year, was the faster of the Triple Eight drivers, which speaks volumes. Uh, he's going up against Shane Van Gisbergen and in, yeah. in the same team, same car. Um, I think, you know, he got the win in Adelaide last year. He... Um, he picked up another win at Albert Park. We were talking about him being that the Sunday man. Uh, I think the one that really sealed it for me was the Sandown weekend, Sandown 500, and um, getting that first really big win, first Enduro win for him, and also made to earn it in the end as well when the safety car bunched him up and he had uh, a certain Beaker Stecky uh, on his rear bar for those final few laps. Um finished third in the championship. I probably wrangled a little bit more about whether to put uh, SVG or Feeney in front out of those two. And then I just thought, well, the points gap versus what uh, Feeney would have lost with that gear tower failure at Bathurst. I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll make that the tie break. Yeah, look, to, to me, it was actually quite an easy decision. I just think the way Brock stood up um, and the way that he did close that gap. And like you said, the, the sheer fact that there were just weekends when he was just faster than Shane in the same equipment, that seemed impossible in 2022. As, as solid as, as Brock's rookie season was, that just that, that that's unbelievable, I think, that he made that, that bigger step in the offseason. Um, Shane in third, which it almost feels generous in a way because he really, 
It's just so funny with Shane because he didn't have a good year. He didn't look like he was having fun. He didn't didn't feel like he was all that fast all that often. Um, and like, he still won the Bathurst 1000, won races, and had it not been for the disqualification in Newcastle, which was obviously not his fault at all, and it wasn't a performance advantage. So you can't even chalk up the fact that the car wasn't legal uh, to contributing to the win. Like, he would have gone to Adelaide with the points lead and probably been pretty hard to beat if he'd been in that position um, going there. So, I mean, I think his bad years are still the sort of years that a heck of a lot of drivers would like to like to have. But I guess that's just how high a regard we hold Shane in and how high our expectations about Shane are. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, you know, he, he still had the wood on almost everyone else in uh, in that paddock, even when he he obviously hated the cars and he was pretty sick of being in supercars by about halfway through the year. That was pretty obvious. Um, yep. uh, yeah, the like I said, he's second on the points table. You know, more often than not, the points table doesn't lie. Kind of did in the past year, as you've. Uh, Explained. I just there were just times where he seemed to lose his head a bit, and that affected his performance. And that was probably part of my uh, decision making as well in putting him third on the list instead of second. Uh, the Bathurst One Thousand performance, though, that was uh, vintage SVG. It was a different kind of SVG. It wasn't the the swash swash buckling. Easy for me to say. Uh, really aggro, really bold sort of Van Gisberg and we've become used to seeing, but it was a very smart performance the way he went about that weekend and about that race. Uh, but yeah, just thought uh, Feeney on balance probably did a slightly better job this year. Uh, down in fourth place, we have Chaz Mostert. It was a weird old year for Chaz and for WAU. I mean, they, they kind of struggled on the whole for consistent pace in a way but Chaz just had a habit of being able to pull it out on a on a Sunday and, and, and kind of bank some points and he just kept doing it all year even though we weren't sort of seeing him contending for polls and, and you know he was winless for the first time in quite a long time I think um, but just so consistent so smart in terms of his uh, race craft and in terms of the way that he puts a race together just the ultimate sort of quiet achiever season and he ends up fourth in the points. He wins the Mustang Cup, which was actually, you know, something that all the four drivers were kind of gunning for because they didn't really feel like they had a chance to win the title. So, yeah, interesting season for Chaz because almost like what you were talking about with Shane, like it wasn't that big, bold showing that we do expect from Chaz. It was just chipping away, smart race driving, banking points. Yeah, I saw at the end of the year he beat Will Brown to fourth and I thought how on earth did he do that uh, I, that's a that's probably a big tick in the box for, for him not just being the top four driver but beating one of the Erebus or Triple Eight Camaros as well in the championship um, given all the issues that they'd had with that uh, with the Mustang um, yeah no no wins this year for for Mostert or for WAU but um some pretty decent drives along the way. I think the Bathurst one, when they they were on the slide early that day, and they did something to the car and managed to dig it out on on a day where there really wasn't much happening, not a lot of variables, and managed to salvage a fourth that day. That was probably uh, one of his better performances that went under the radar. But yeah, to uh, to top the Mustang Cup uh, it was a big tick in the box for Mostert in twenty twenty three. 
Absolutely. Uh, ahead of, uh, well, sorry, right behind Chaz uh, on our combined top 10 was Cam Waters, who was arguably the outright fastest of the four drivers um, and, you know, proved once again that he's one of the fastest guys in the entire category once he sort of had a car that was um, on, well, I won't say level level footing with the Camaro because I think it was slightly better for those last couple of rounds. Um, but, yeah, outrageously fast when things were working for him. Would have been very interesting to see uh, what would have happened in Darwin if his car hadn't have uh, caught fire, whether he would have blown the tyres off the back of it or whether he could have actually won that race and... That would have been another sort of twist and turn in the in the parody saga along the way as well. Um, but yeah, massively fast. You have to be impressed with you know how quick he was, uh, particularly those last couple of rounds of the year. And you know, in a streamlined Tickford effort, we're banking on the fact that parody will be sorted by next year. You sort of think, geez, he could be a real contender next year. Yeah, it it just goes to show when when he was on, he was on. Even you know, we talk about. The win on the Gold Coast, um, and yeah, he never really looked like giving that one up. Um, that Saturday, uh, the performance at Adelaide came close to another win. E- even at uh, the Bend, which for whatever reason, and there are uh, a number of theories, but it, it suited the Mustang in that second version of its aero. Um, he was on song that weekend as well. Let the championship after the first race of the season. Well, yes, um, true. Which is... Uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting little tidbit in the context of twenty twenty three. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, even was you know spoken about as a potential Van Gisbergen replacement for twenty five until those plans got accelerated. Yep. Yeah, one of the best drivers in the field. Yep. No, absolutely. All right. Now, outside outside of our top five. It got a little bit uh, more interesting, and a um, and we had a few discussions about where to put various guys. So what we ended up landing on was Will Brown in sixth place. Uh, that was where I had him on my list. You actually had him. Well, you revised your list eventually and put him to tenth. You didn't have him in your top ten at all at one point. Um, yeah, look, I um, I think it was it was very hard to judge Will's year because I mean he won four races. Um, he was a title contender for the first half of the season. That all sounds really good, but he then really did drop away, and he did have you know the fastest car in the field at his disposal, and he finished sixth in the standings. Uh, no, sorry, fifth, fifth in the standings, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry, Grant, cut that out. Um. He had the fastest car at his disposal and he finished fifth in the standings and 600-odd points behind his teammate, which actually is, it's quite poor, really. So, like, I do sort of, you know, I feel like sixth is pretty generous on balance for the year. I do feel he deserves to be in the 10 just because of some of the work he did at the start of the year. I mean, he basically did a good enough job to earn the triple eight drive, which is impressive enough. But, yeah, it's um, it's kind of, yeah, it's just, that's really not a good enough, finishing position in the championship when you've got the fastest car in the field at your disposal, in my opinion. No, and and not just the results, but the actual racing well at the start of the season. We saw how well uh, he and Brody Kostecki drove as teammates at Albert Park, for example, and then he led the championship at the, uh, at the end of the Townsville weekend, which was the halfway point, and 
coincidence or otherwise, whatever the causation was, once that trip, it seems like once that Triple Eight deal was done, that was when it all started to fall apart for him. He had that very messy weekend at the bend. I mean, he, he got caught up in a crash, but that was because he qualified badly. Uh, had that off. Uh, we went to sand and put it on pole, but then had that late off as well. That snaggy downshift that cost him a podium. Yeah. Crash at Bathurst, and then just a whole heap of uh, subpar qualifying performances as well. And even maybe uh, an easy comment to make, watching from the the comfort of the media centre. But even that first corner at Adelaide, first lap at Adelaide, just the way he got caught there. You think? Would Brody have been caught out like that and been bumped into a fence the way that Brown was? Um, so, yeah, but four race wins. Um, deserves a place in the 10. Just, um, yeah, not not a good back half of the season for Will Brown. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, seventh place, we ended up with uh, with David Reynolds, another driver whose season, definitely his season sort of had its peaks and troughs, probably a little more up and down than Will's, which was like very much up and then very much down. Um, you had him around this seventh on your list. I think I had him a little low. I had him back in ninth on my list, but pretty happy to have him in the 10. There seems to be a bit of fight in the old dog left. Um, yet we certainly saw on a couple of occasions where, you know, after after kind of, um, uh, you know, well, we, we know that sometimes aggression can be an issue for Dave, and I think that's something he did work on as the season went on. We saw him sort of tangle with Brock Feeney at the bend, which Brock was upset about, but I actually don't think it was Dave's fault. I think Dave was just actually just keeping his elbows out in a way that he was very much um, entitled to do. And then, you know, I think the real, the real uh, sort of sign that, that Dave does take... Uh, you know, still trying to learn and trying to become more aggressive seriously was the Gold Coast, where, you know, he momentarily lost the lead of that race. You would think, okay, well, that's it. Brody's going to storm away from this one now. But, you know, Brody made the mistake. Dave capitalized on it and then held him off and drove aggressively and whatever he wants to say, drove very smart in the way that he used up his lives into the first chicane on that last lap. Um, and, you know, that was such a well-crafted win. Um, so, like, I think that... You know, we saw, we just we saw some glimpses of of that A grade Dave and how good the guy can actually be when he's happy and he's confident and he's in a car that's capable of doing the job. Yeah, it's another funny one because the the season actually started kind of promising for them. He got a pole in Newcastle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then as the as it became apparent that the Mustangs. Or the Mustang teams, whichever way you want to look at it, had some sort of an issue um, that really hit the Groves hard. I think they were experimenting with a, a few things or just trying a direction that didn't work. Um, and there was a bit of bad luck as well because he was quicker at Townsville and the thing got beaten up um, quite a few times. The, the Gold Coast one, that was, that was a great performance because he managed to survive and take the win against one of the best races in the field and... Like you said, there were those shortcuts, but he uh, he drove to the rules that they had. He, he maximized yeah. the opportunity and got the job done. And I think, I mean, we all think that Matt Payne's got a bright future, and we'll talk about him in a sec, but David Reynolds still beat his teammate as well, so that's got to count yep. for something as well. Um, seventh, yeah, could be a little bit lower. I, I had him up there. I, th- I just thought it was, a, it was a, 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 good dr- a good season in the end under the circumstances. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree, and uh, I think he's uh, yeah well deserving of a spot, well inside the ten 
there. Uh, in eighth on our combined list, we had Jack LeBrock. You had him ninth on your individual list. I had him eighth on my individual list, so we ended up about where we both had him. Um, I think he was a little unlucky to, unlucky to fall out of the, the, the top 10 in the points. But, um, yeah, look, I think it was a really good season from Jack. Obviously, you know, we, there's no hiding from the fact that the pace of the Camaros was helpful. Um, the sort of reset that we had from Gen 3 was helpful and definitely, you know, put MSR in a position that allowed Jack to deliver some good results. But, you know, we just got so used to seeing him qualifying inside the top 10. Of course, there was that win in Darwin where once out front, you know, he didn't put a foot wrong and he and he really cruised to that race win in Darwin. Um, and, you know, he, he earned himself a drive with the fastest team in pit lane at the moment with Erebus. So, you know, I think that's... That's on the whole a pretty a pretty impressive season for ja- uh, for Jack. I mean, he's got a challenge ahead of him going to Erebus and being paired with Brody Kostecki. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But yeah, I, I think I think Jack was definitely one of the ten best drivers in supercars this year. Yeah, and I, he he got that win at Hidden Valley, which is we can be blunt. That's a more meritorious win than the one at Sydney with the tire mix up. Yeah, hundred percent. A few yep. years back. Um, yeah. People can say things about what the parity situation was then, but all the Camaro teams had an equal opportunity, and um, and there were three different Chev teams that won races that weekend, and MSR was one of them, courtesy of JLB. Um, and and the other thing is that wasn't a flash in the pan; it was his only win and his only pole of the year. But he was a regular in that top ten. Um, yeah more so front half of the season than the back half, but he was still there quite often. And, and like you said, uh, good enough for the eventual championship winning team to pick him up. Now, in ninth on a combined list, we had Matty Payne. You actually had him in eighth on yours. I had him in tenth on mine. Uh, so we both uh, felt from the off that he deserved to be in that top ten. Massively impressive season from Matt. I think he uh, over-delivered on what we might have expected, much like Brock Feeney. Um, he's a, he's a good guy. He's, um, just so mature for his age. Um, and just very fast, like just, just fast. And, and, and really put that star power on show in Adelaide, obviously, um, by winning that race. Once he was in front, he just didn't look like he was going to make any mistakes, uh, from there. Just, yeah, very, very exciting, uh, prospect for the future makes you know adds even more excitement to that kind of Richie Stanaway, Matty Payne lineup for next year, knowing that Matt is capable of delivering results like that. Um, yeah, just a just a great story and a great addition to our field. I think Matty Payne. So good to have him in the ten. That's actually going to be an interesting intra-team battle next year. Now that I think about it, but yeah, um, you say he's mature. He didn't look mature a couple of years ago in Super Two. He tended to run into a lot of things and there was none of that this yeah. year um yeah he was uh yeah there, there weren't any sort of major mistakes from matt Payne. he was quick he almost matched his uh, far more experienced teammate Davey reynolds who we just mentioned uh, far and away the best rookie and uh and then got a win by the end of the season yeah and and, and dave really rates him as well which you know dave's been around for a long time and uh knows what he's talking about and he's the guy sitting there looking at his data and uh, Dave's very quick to say, yeah, the, the guy knows exactly what he's doing and he's going to be very, very good, which I think speaks volumes as well. The last driver to make the cut on our combined top 10 was Andre Heimgartner. This was one that we definitely 
had a bit of back and forth on. You hadn't quite, you hadn't sixth on your original list there, Dan. Uh, and I didn't have him in my original list at all, which, uh, sorry, Andre, uh, again, one of the nicest blokes in the lane. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't feel like it was a great season for Andre and BJR, to be honest. I think given they had the edge of the Camaro, and as you mentioned, there was a number, a number of Camaro teams that made use of that and went out and took their chance to win races. You know, I think there was a couple of second places or whatever, but they just didn't just didn't feel like they were really a threat at any point. Um, I think to end up behind, you know, in the points to a um, to a couple of um, to a couple of Mustang drivers. I don't know. I I would just it, again, it comes back to expectations to a large extent. I would expect more from Andre, and particularly when it became apparent that you know the Camaro was going to be the mouse trap to have. It was like, wow, this this could be a real chance for these guys to do something spectacular this year. And I just don't really feel like. Um, I just don't really feel like that they delivered whether it was a team issue or whether, you know, whether it was Andre or whatever. I just don't think that there was a, it was a performance quite worthy of the top 10. Um, not, was not a disaster by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, to me, I didn't quite have him in there, but you obviously saw something that you, you think had him well in there. Yeah. I just, I look at some of the, well, for a start, I still, I'd probably place a higher value on, on the points table than most, notwithstanding all those um, other factors we've identified. Um, I look at some of the uh, extenuating circumstances. It was a, a car that was you know up and down. You'd see you know, weekends like Wanneroo, the whole team uh, went missing at that point. Um, possibly, probably should have won that Saturday night race at Sydney if the uh, steering rack didn't let go for the second time in the day and I guess just as a comparer if we're going to put Jack LeBrock in the 10 we probably need to have Heimgartner in there somewhere because LeBrock got a win but Heimgartner got more points and they're still racing in a Camaro and then I look at Bathurst as well um, there was an engine blow up after the co-driver put himself in a bad position on the track and, uh, and got bumped off the road at one point so I think there were a few factors outside of his control where he might have been ahead of say Cam Waters as well and then it starts to look a bit less uh, less I don't know less bleak is possibly yeah, underwhelming. Well, it starts to look a bit more respectable if you if you factor yeah. some of that in as well yeah I guess so I just I still think that they I mean they're, they're, they are just issues that they had and I, I just I think that yeah, I would have liked to have seen a bit more, uh, a bit more flair from from Andre and BJR in a year where the opportunities were there for them to, to actually go out there and, and do some damage in a good way. Um, let's move on to who didn't make the list. Uh, sort of our honourable mentions. I actually had Anton Di Pasquale in my list. I had him a fair. I had him ahead of Jack LeBrock, Dave Reynolds, and Matt Payne. Actually, I don't think it was a a sensational year for Anton. It was a terrible year for Dick Johnson Racing. They really uh, struggled performance-wise. Obviously, they had a lot on their plate with the with the homologation uh, team staff, and obviously this ongoing battle with Parity and having to do a fair, you know a fair bit of work trying to trying to sort this Mustang out. But uh, at the same time, I think they they did underperform as well, and I don't think even anyone at the factory there would uh, would deny that is the case. But Anton, you know, did did still finish well inside the top ten in the points. Uh, he took a win when it was on offer in Townsville. Yes, uh, there was obviously that you know additional set of ties because of his DNF on the Saturday and all that sort of stuff. But I actually think he he scrapped away pretty well for the season, probably well enough to be 
uh, in the top 10, particularly, you know, given the fact that he wasn't just in a Mustang, but in a DJR Mustang, which really wasn't even the Mustang to have um, out there. So I think he's a bit hard done by, but you, were, you weren't having a bar of it, Dan. No, I, d- I didn't. It's probably similar to the comments that you've uh, just made about Heimgarten. I, d- I didn't see anything particularly special during the year, I guess. Yeah, oh, well, there was the race win, but yeah, the extra set of tyres up his sleeve as we've, uh, as we've already covered off. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just never felt like there was a real threat for a big result otherwise. Got in the 10, yeah, I guess I'm possibly punishing him a bit because it's still, yeah, it's DJR, it's still the homologation team. I guess they that was probably a burden more than anything this year. I don't know, he just didn't, didn't really excite me, which is why I couldn't put him in my 10. Yeah, I get it. I think it literally is sort of the same, I don't know, gut feeling that I kind of had with Andre where I didn't sort of look back at his season and go, oh, wow, this is this is the bit that made me sit up and take notice. And I guess it was a bit the same for Anton. I just feel like in such a tough year for that team, the fact that uh, I think both DJR drivers end up in the 10, actually. They both scrapped away pretty well in a year where performance wasn't really coming to them. And uh, I probably would have had Anton in there. Uh, another driver I would have happily had in the 10, you know, is, is Thomas Randall. Um, I think particularly second half of the season, he really uh, hit his straps. He's kind of um, he's kind of figured this supercars thing out a bit. Really closed the gap to Cam Waters. Um, it's going to be obviously a big test for him next year in that streamlined uh, Tickford effort where he will be compared directly to Cam Waters all year. But I sort of feel like I don't know. I feel like he's almost there and he's almost ready to make that step. Not predicting he's going to challenge cam you know in terms of the standings next year but i think uh, there's going to be the odd weekend that he's that he's going to do it and i think we saw some we saw some pretty impressive drives from the guy and you know i think he's he's one you could argue to be in the top 10 i think he's i think an honorable mention is a is probably a, the right result but yeah i think it was a pretty good year for tommy yeah i, th- I think that's fair i think if if we were judging it on the second half of the year then yeah i'd have him in my 10 he did he did really close the gap to Waters in in the second half of the year. I just think he was still a a little bit distant in the uh, in the first half, and obviously teammates are probably your best metrics. Um, so yeah, if, if it was the latter six rounds, I'd have him in my ten. I just didn't think the performance across the whole year was um, would warrant a place in the ten for mine. You're a tough market. Herrero, a tough marker. Uh, anyone else that you want to discuss? Anyone else you think was hard done by to miss out or could have been a contender to get into the 10 there? Uh, well, I mean, I, I had my honourable mentions. I went for some weird ones, just some uh, Enduro co-drivers, both of the Triple Eights. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I, th- I think it's a, it's about right. Um, I mean, yeah, you wanted Stanaway. I think you had on one of your draft lists, you had Stanaway in there, didn't you? Yeah. I toyed with that. I guess I uh, was once I went back and had a look at Sandown and just because obviously that car was buried in qualifying, um, but yeah, that was more of an SVG than a Stanaway yeah. game that that Sunday. Yeah. Um, but Bathurst, yeah, I mean, R- was, Richie did great. Like it's, uh, oh, yeah. I can't wait to have him back in the championship next year. That's that's exciting. Yeah, you you just hope, and I think we can be confident it's not going to be this time. But you just hope it's not a case of. 2017 where it's you know 
you look very good as a co-driver in a car that's on song and then when you've got to set it yeah. up for yourself and, and lead the charge yourself it becomes a lot more difficult I don't think it'll be like that this time but yeah there's always that question mark when you talk the co-driver and then I had um, Jamie Winkup as the other one he's still one of the best in the field even though he only does the Enduros these days um, we, we saw him at Sandown how good he was um, yeah yeah yeah, that, that go, first hint at Sandown. Yeah, that, that first hint at Sandown really showed the worth of having like a gun co driver. Like the difference they can make when you can just, you know, well, I can't remember, did they start fourth or wherever they started and just cut through to the front straight away to set up that race win. It really was very impressive and just sort of showed that it is important to get your co driver choice right. It can make a difference on race day and it did make a difference on that particular race day. Um, I always find co-drivers hard to argue into the 10 just because, you know, it's obviously such a small sample size and uh, you are generally driving one of the best cars in the field if you're a co-driver in contention for, for making the top 10 and you've only got to get it right a couple of times to look like an absolute star. So it's difficult to judge against guys doing a full season where the scope to get things wrong is so much bigger. But, yeah, I totally take your point. I think I think Jamie really showed that he's still very, very capable. You know, now we know more about what Shane's program looks like next year. You know, we can, I think we can stop pretending that there's any sort of chance that he might come back here to do the enduro. Mm. So we're going to see Jamie back with Brock. Um, and uh, there's just absolutely no doubt that he's going to go out and get the job done in those races next year again because he's just Jamie and he's bloody good. Yeah. I, th- I mean, the only other one that we... It's strange that we haven't spoken about a race winner is Mark Winterbottom, but I guess the the rest of that season for for him and for Team 18 probably rules him out of a 10 or an honourable mention, even just, with that. Just so hard. I had exactly the same thought like when I was doing my list, but like just so hard to judge anything about that team, really. Like um, it's just so, so much inconsistency there. Obviously, again, had the Camaro, had the car to have, um, and just, yeah, just very difficult to judge. It's not saying that Mark didn't do a fantastic job all year. It's 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 almost impossible to know, you know, when a team's kind of in in form that's that ropey. So um, so yeah, great drive in Darwin. But I had the same thought. I kind of yeah, even for an honourable mention, it was like, man, it's just so just so hard to really to really know given given the ups and downs that that team's been through both on and off the track during the year. Yeah, for, for sure, a, a real weird... I mean, even at the start of the year, they were moving test days around and doing them in secret after that Wanneroo weekend. It was that kind of year for Team 18, rocks or diamonds. It was. Well, thanks for joining me, Dan. It was always fun to do uh, to do a little list like that and to have a few uh, arguments. I think bickering is the way I described it in the story. <laughs> a little bit of bickering about who should go where, place. but I think... I think yeah, I think we came up with a with a pretty solid list to be honest with uh, with with the right guys in the right place. So uh, so yeah, look, we're happy to take any feedback from uh, from our listeners out there and readers out there on the socials. Get in touch with us and let us know. Um, yeah, look, thanks for uh, thanks for for tuning in to this episode of the Speak FA podcast. Uh, Mark Fogarty will be back on Monday with the latest episode of the Speak Cafe newscast. If we don't speak to you before Christmas, everyone have a very happy holidays and a great break. And yeah, thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 